What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack podcast. It is April the 7th, 2022. Uh, real quick programming note. It's been super windy here in East Texas, and we haven't lost power, but we have had some flickers. If that happens to uh, occur, I can jump on mobile and we can continue. So everybody just stay put and uh, we'll we'll work through it and, and take care of that issue sometimes. Things like that happen. Uh, we have the armed attorneys waiting in the green room. Got to bring them in here in just a second. Have a great conversation about what all they're doing and no telling what rabbit holes we're liable to get going down in the um, yeah in the 2A world and the 2A realm. If you're listening out there and replay in the audio podcast world, thanks for uh, joining us today. If you are filing in live, thanks for being here as well. Remember that you have the opportunity being live to do a couple of things out there in the live chat. First of all, you can ask any questions of our guests that you'd like. Keep them relevant and on topic. Try not to derail the conversation. If you can, that's all that we ask, uh, along with being civil and all that good stuff. Uh, and secondly, uh, occasionally I'll throw a poll up, have a fun one uh, today, and it is uh, is having access to good 2A attorneys, pivotal in our fight for the Second Amendment. We've got two choices in that poll. The first is, of course, and the second is attorneys are the devil. So we'll check that poll as we move forward and close that out at the end of the show. But uh, 93% is, of course, right now, which is which is good. That's what we like to see. Uh, yeah, let's uh, waste uh, a little more time here to say thank you. It's scrolling below to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat, super thanks, and shop, clovertech.com slash shop. These podcasts, as a lot of folks know, I do not monetize them. That way we don't have to worry about what all is discussed. And that sort of stuff certainly helps. Now, I've bloviated for uh, several minutes. Let's get in our guest, uh, Emily and Richard, the armed attorneys. How are you guys? Doing, Doing good. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks yeah. for having us. Although I'd like to say your poll, um, I think that attorneys are both essential and evil. And so I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> are you torn? Yeah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to do some uh, soul searching, I guess. Uh, maybe. Speaking of the devil there. Uh, no, one thing. First of all, thanks for thanks for coming in. I know you guys are busy and, and it was tough to get the scheduling down. But something I find interesting because I was going to introduce you. Hey, it's Emily and Richard or Richard and Emily. And one thing that has been playing on repeat in our house for several weeks or months now is the Gilmore girls. Don't know if you guys have ever watched the Gilmore girls, but the parents are Emily and Richard Gilmore. So ah. I thought that was kind of funny when I was setting things up today. I'm like, yeah, I got to mention that because that's, <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. Uh, I want to I want to give you a few minutes a piece here, and we're going to start, ladies first, uh, Emily, with you. Uh, but just to kind of give somebody you know out there that may not be aware of who you guys are individually and what you're bringing to the table and your background, uh, tell a little bit of your story, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So Richard and I are privileged enough to be firearms and self defense attorneys, which is um, a weird niche. Uh, there aren't a lot of people who get to really drill down and specialize in, in one area of criminal law. And not only do we do that, but then we also get to touch the civil aspects, the administrative aspects, the legislative aspects of everything firearms and self-defense. Um, I started my legal career at the Galveston County District Attorney's Office. Um, in fact, as did Richard, but I'll let him tell you about that. 
Um, and I've been doing this gun law gig for, um, my gosh, about eight years now, um, representing clients and everything from, um, you know, I mean, consulting on potential legislation to um, actual criminal cases, murders, um, you know, the real kind of kind of nasty stuff. But it's it's a wild ride. Yeah. And I have a very similar, you know, kind of path. Um, started at the Galveston County District Attorney's Office. I Richard was my intern. <laughs> I stayed a little bit longer, though. Um, and so, you know, I was a senior felony prosecutor there, you know, primarily a trial attorney, tried dozens and dozens of cases. Um, I was our intake and grand jury DA. So I've indicted thousands and thousands of cases. And so, um, you know, it's pretty interesting to go from the law enforcement side of things to criminal defense, because essentially, I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what we are, criminal defense attorneys, right? you know, because as a prosecutor, I estimate I probably had my hands on 10,000-ish cases or saw 10,000 cases. Self-defense came up, I don't know, five or six times during my tenure. Um, moving over to the defense side, we, I mean, our office last year, I mean, it was a record year, but I mean, we consulted on over 600 critical incidents. And so we really wow. have our finger on the pulse of what's going on with self-defense in the state of Texas. So that part is great. You know, being criminal lawyers is great. The legislative stuff, you know, I personally love the legislative mm -hmm. stuff. You know, last legislative session was insane with right. over 250 gun bills. Um, and we, you know, got to testify on for or against virtually every single gun bill file that, you know, made it to a committee hearing. So, you know, no, there's not a boring day and it's just super, super rewarding. Right. Well, that's one thing that I find interesting about you guys is you see a lot of, 2A attorneys out there that are not, they're more of constitutional law, right? Yeah. Rather than the, the criminal side of things uh, and actually being in a courtroom and in that sort of a setting. So um, that's kind of a unique, I guess, background with you guys. And, and I don't know if that plays into it. I definitely want to get to uh, the channel and you know what you, you're looking to accomplish there. But I know one thing that's been said to me before about you guys and the videos that you're putting out that you're producing is unlike a lot of these other you're you're working to make sense of the the legal speak everything from legislation obviously the criminal code which is ultimately legislation uh, and everything in between even a press release from a uh, an industry firearm industry company nowadays is almost always legal speak if you're talking about policies uh, on social media platforms whatever uh, and they say that you guys do a really good job of breaking that down for the layman. So tell us a little bit about the channel, Armed Attorneys, and why you started that and what the ultimate goal of that channel is. Yeah, you know, ultimately, Richard and I are trying to put ourselves out of business, basically. <laughs> um, we want people to know what the gun laws are. We want them to be thinking about self-defense. I mean, with the goal in mind that nobody gets arrested, nobody gets in trouble, yeah. um, everybody's doing everything you know, in the way that the law intended. And, you know, we know from having read the law extensively every day of our lives, it's tough for us. I mean, it's it's not digestible. No. It's not written um, for the lay person. I mean, it's not even written for attorneys. It, it's written, I mean, we looked at the legislative <laughs> right. process, you know, in depth this year. And yeah. it's just I mean, being, being behind the oh, curtain gosh. is a scary place to be. Right. Yeah, it yeah. is. A, you know, it's so much is done just to obfuscate and hide. Um, and, you know, they do a hell of a job at that, at hiding the ball. Yeah. And I would say, you know, unlike the ATF, and we've seen this trend where they have all these secret internal memos about what they think the law is and how they're going to apply it. And 
we just have all these people out there who just want to follow the law. Mm -hmm. We talk to thousands of people right. every year. And good God, these people go above and beyond because they just want to follow the law, be law abiding, do the right thing. And we see this trend of making it nearly impossible to be a law abiding gun owner. And I mean, that's part of the bigger 2A fight. And that's really what I think we want to combat. And, you know, what I think sets us apart from a lot of these other 2A attorneys or, um, you know, so organizations in that matter is, you know, they're really offensive. The law serves kind of two different functions. It's a sword and it's a shield. And these big groups that, you know, sue the federal government who, um, you know, they're really on the offense. That's the sword yeah. of the law. And that's really not our specialty. And we kind of we kind of stay out of that. Yeah. But they we, do a good job. They do and a really essential. good job. Right. And yeah. there's, right. there's tons of people I look up to in that field. But we're really the shield in the fight of the 2A. And we don't, you don't, there's no glory there. You're down in the trenches and you're getting your, you know, your ass whooped in court, you know, every now and then. <laughs> yeah. but, right. but that's what the defensive part of the law is. And that's really where we find ourselves. And so it, it seems like that uh, the channel's been well received. Uh, are you getting any feedback through the channel on certain directions to go? I know you said you, uh, it looks like most of your stuff is primarily Texas related and then maybe the federal level. Uh, are you getting people that are coming to the channel looking for maybe advice or your breakdowns in other states with a lot of the, the regulations and, and anti-gun bills there? Yeah, we are. Um, and, you know, there are specific questions that come in to us through private messages. And, you know, we have a, an extensive network of pro 2A attorneys throughout the country. We always try to point people in the right direction if it's a place where Richard and I aren't licensed um, and you need that very specific help. Um, but, you know, I mean, gosh, we also I mean, we're getting a lot of requests right now for just um, a little more of the practicalities, um, you know, things like you know, courtroom stories and, you yep. know, hearing about, I mean, you learn a lot of lessons by hearing about stupid things other people do. Right. Um, so, you know, ideally we'll take a little bit more of a turn here with the channel coming up shortly, um, do a little, a little more war stories. We've got to figure out how to do it in a way that still preserves all of our client confidentiality, of course. Sure. Um, but, you know, but boy, I mean, I would say we have a good mix between people who really want things broken down and then we do the best we can. If it's Texas or federal, you know, you're golden with us. We do the best we can to shoot people out where they need to go. Um, but then also, you know, a little bit of that practical advice sometimes goes a long way. Yeah. And I'd say one thing that Emily and I, I think we have had a great opportunity is serving states law. So while we're mm -hmm. only licensed in the state of Texas, we have a pretty good sense of what's going on in the rest of the country because of how much legislation we read, how many folks we interact with around the country. And so when we can make some kind of principle of self-defense or law applicable, we really try to do that. And we point out, you know, hey, this, you know, about mo most of the states follow this law. There's a handful. You know who you are. You need to look out for it. Right. We try to make it applicable so that everyone who watches can get value from it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we're all learning from the mistakes of, you know, other folks. And we want to pass that along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a, a, another benefit to a channel like the one you guys are doing is, you know, when you break down, especially when we're talking about legislation, not only legislation, but, ex, you know, potential new laws and new infringements, but the ones that the myriad of ones that already exist. Right. Um, when you guys break those down, you know, from a two, a perspective, we're all about, regaining our rights uh which we were lucky enough uh blessed enough however you want to word that last year to to finally pull off here in texas uh it's been a battle for many decades moving in that direction was finally able to cross the finish line at least on that but 
you can't try to fight an existing piece of legislation or law or statute unless you first understand it. And I find that we, you get a lot of people that have a lot of weird understandings of current law. And if you don't understand it, you, there's no way you can fight to try to remove that, that piece of law. Um, and especially going from a courtroom standpoint, um, I've seen some, and you're right, some of these organizations, they do really great work. And, and I'm not a lawyer, and I don't play one on TV. Um, but, you know, I look at some of the arguments that they make, right? And it's like, why are you going down that road with this argument against this particular infringement? It's like... You don't have to go that far or you're taking it a different direction. And with you guys simplifying it for folks, I think that makes the fight even that much easier. You know, you sound like us listening to the um, the Bruin arguments at the Supreme Court last year. Yes. Oh, <laughs> we were yeah. saying the exact right. same thing. We were right. like, God, these guys don't practice gun law because they were just all worked up about stuff that just does not matter. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. the New York State rifle and pistol case had nothing to do with prohibited places. And they went on this very right. frustrating yep. tangent yeah. that had nothing yeah. to do with the law in question. And we were just sitting there, you know, ripping our hair out. But. You know, that's why it's so important. You have to have somebody who understands the issues and I hope hopefully we bring that value to people. Right. Let's uh, let's jump into the comments. We've got uh, a couple of questions and other things and we'll we'll work on these real quick so we don't get behind. But uh, Calaveras out there uh, says that you guys have any advice on selecting an attorney in the event of a self-defense situation? It's tough. Um, you know, uh, generally speaking, most criminal defense attorneys, not all, of course, but most, um, not only are they not gun people, but they tend to be on sort of the more liberal side of the spectrum. Yes. Um, and they may not be that interested in your self-defense case and in the intricacies of firearms and gun law. Um, so kind of, I mean, really asking the right questions. Um, gun people, we tend to you know, we tend to uh, be loud and proud about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, those guys who are going to be into <sighs> firearms, generally, like, look at their law firm websites. They might say something about um, the gun cases they've handled, notable cases, um, you know, what they may be shooting on the weekends with their families. Um, it is really tough, though. I mean, Richard has good advice about um, how you find, I think, <laughs> if he can stop coughing, he's got Seriously. great advice about how you find <laughs> right? your good lawyer. You know, you treat it like a job interview. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're fine. You know, I tell folks to treat it like a job interview. And like Emily said, <clears throat> nearly three quarters of lawyers fall on the left side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And they don't care about guns. They don't have a sense of community when it comes to this. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Bad. I mean, just to give you a, an idea, and this is something that happened to a colleague of ours. I'm going to step happened, out of the room and clear my Yeah, throat. I know he needs a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it happened on um, the other side, actually. So the colleague of ours is a gun lawyer mm -hmm. and he had a client get into a self-defense incident and the client actually, the <sighs> firearm he used, he had accidentally created an unregistered AOW. Oh, like, okay. oops. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, because this guy that he hired, our colleague um, who works, he actually works in a different state, but he's fantastic. Um, he knows a lot about the gun law and he recognized that and had the, you know, whatever defense and whatever, you know, he could have ready to go, ready to go to combat that. Mm -hmm. um, 
the lawyer on the other side didn't know anything about guns, never realized that there was another criminal charge to be had both on the federal level and the state level. And so it never came up. So it was actually really great news for the self-defender. But, you know, you never want to be on the side of the equation where your lawyer doesn't know guns, your lawyer doesn't know what's coming up. Um, you know, I mean, even just things like, you know, you look at what to include in a jury instruction. I mean, that's the law that your jury right. follows is incredibly important. Correct. And if your lawyer's like, I'm a DWI guy or I'm not super into guns and they don't realize what needs to happen right. in that instruction, you're in big trouble. I just right. started a new variant in the hallway. Oh, OK, good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Lockdowns incoming. Right. Right. We'll call it the uh, rich hand virus or something. There you go. Oh, but I didn't get into your interview strategy. Yeah, no. So, you know, you have to ask around. Like I was saying, the vast majority of lawyers fall on the left side of the spectrum. Don't care about guns. So referrals, that's an important tool you have. But you treat it like a job interview. Because being charged with a crime or being, you know, facing criminal charges, being alleged to have committed a legal activity, being charged with a crime is so life disrupting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I it, you put it up there with a death of a relative or getting a divorce or, you know, it's worse than moving houses. I can tell you that or changing jobs. I mean, <laughs> it's up, it's up there in some of the most stressful things that you can do. You have to find someone that you can work with because y'all are going to be buddies for a while and you have to be able to trust each other and have a free flow of communication. And you have to, and this is where I think some lawyers fall short and where I think is it's really important that you understand the process. If you don't understand the process, it's very difficult to uh, effectively assist in your defense or to make informed decisions. And so going through that job interview process, you know, it's a service industry, finding someone you can mm -hmm. work with, find someone you can communicate with, find someone who's going to be at a teacher role. You know, the way that I tell my clients, I say, look, you know, you're the captain of the ship. My job is to tell you the different courses of action and the pros and cons of each of those courses. And you tell me where to go. And so I, I think that's a really you, you need to find a lawyer who has that kind of spirit who want to teach you about, you know, the process. Yeah. And be ready to ask questions like how many firearms cases have you handled? How many self-defense yeah, cases I, have you handled? How right. many of those cases went to trial? Do you shoot? Do you own guns? Have you ever written any scholarly articles or even blog articles about the Second Amendment or about self-defense? And you need to find the right answers to those questions that indicate that they have dug. Your case is not the first time they're digging into it. Right. Now, going down the rabbit hole of lawyers and what you said about you know, the majority of them probably being left leaning uh, or whatever, how do you do you attribute that to the educational system or where do you think that's coming from? I think my personal view is particularly for criminal defense lawyers, they see the government um, as like and like law enforcement as the bad guy. And that just somehow sends them like way over to the left side of the spectrum um, because right. they seem to and they seem to get more liberal the longer they practice. Right. So it's got to be something that happens post education mm -hmm. in the actual. And I think it's just it might just be the I think it's anti-government sentiment. Personally. Yeah, I think it, there is some kind of selection bias on the front end of, hey, you're going to be in the business of defending people's rights. And mm -hmm. so I think you have that kind of initial level you know, of screening. But then as time goes on and, and we do see it, we see it all the time, the government violating people's rights, but there's a way to, to handle it in a way that honors the constitution that honors natural rights, um, right. that doesn't devolve into, 
you know, crazy. And to defund the police. Yes, right. Exactly right. We've got uh, G Webs out there. I'll read his comment real quick. Uh, he says, uh, "How do you guys manage the amount of time spent on planning and creating informative videos versus just being a lawyer?" Uh, it goes on and saying that you guys are uh, posting videos far more often than most other professional YouTube channels. So, uh, yeah, how do you strike that balance? That's a good question. Ah, well, you may have noticed lately that the <laughs> videos have gotten less frequent. Um, it's it's it really is tough. Um, we are luckily in the position of having um, many uh, associates who can help us out um, with, you know, sort of just the day-to-day -day kind of doldrums um, of, you know, the practice of criminal law. Um, we, we've got a new murder case coming up out of county. Um, it's really nice to have that associate deal with, um, you know, the drafting of motions and getting something on file with the court and, you know, all of that really helps, but it affects us. And recently, and I think in the coming months as well, people will see that our um, our videos get less frequent. And that just is a function of having time to devote to clients. Yeah. Right. And we do a lot of planning. I mean, and we, and this isn't YouTube magic or anything like that, but, you know, we do a lot of planning on our own time. You know, what are we going to talk about? And we do. I mean, I've seen, I've talked to YouTubers who have everything scripted out and I've talked to people who don't write anything down. We're somewhere in the middle. We each, we put up three bullet points and then we just kind of speak our minds. So there's not that much preparation on the front end that we're going into. Um, and so, you know, our time filming, we spend a very short amount of time filming, you know, every week or every other week. Um, we do a little bit of planning outside of, you know, when we have the free time. Uh, but you know, we have a we have a lot of help helping us making sure these things, you know, the trains stay on the tracks. And um, I mean, that's really where the magic is. And Richard and I have talked to each other about gun law basically every day for the last 10 years. So yeah, that helps. Yeah. No, they could. I mean, they could. And this has happened where it's like, hey, we need you all to give a presentation on that. And, you know, we'll go up there and talk for four hours. I mean, we could talk all day. Um, there's no shortage of things to talk about. He his audio. Oh, Chris, we've lost your audio. Yeah, I muted. Oh, there um, we go. With the, I had to cough too, so I muted and I forgot I muted. Anyway, with the, um, speaking about your channel and your your content release schedule, um, so curbing back a little bit, I don't think it's going to hurt you guys at this point. It's it's really important. Uh, talk to a lot of creators, help a lot of new creators through the through the ropes and. You know, when you first start out until you get to a certain level, it's really important that you, you crank out that content. You really blast that stuff out there. Um, I think you guys are to that point, right? Um, so I think dialing it back a little bit, I don't think is going gonna, is gonna to hurt you that bad. But it's also, I mean, you know, they talked about, G-Webs mentioned, you know, putting out the content and then your professional lives being lawyers, but then you got your personal lives as well. That you've got yes. to, that you've got to worry about it. So that's for your mental health and your sanity and everything else. You got to keep those in check. Well, and I find that you, I mean, YouTube is and, and making the videos is so rewarding to me. And I know it is to you too. Yeah. But although our respective spouses aren't as crazy. About <laughs> it. But you know, when you're a lawyer, you, you're right. You write things down. You you're like, "Ooh, look at this cool piece of paper I found. It has the coolest words on it." And there's really no, you know, there's no creative out. There's some creativity there, but there's no. Um, it's been a really great outlet to right. to express ourselves, to create. Um, whereas, you know, we do a lot of other work that, you know, it's not as glamorous. But I mean, you know, it's very interesting to us. But right. it's not. It's nice to have a work product that other people can see. Oh, uh, 
Calaveras out there is uh, asking, he says, do you analyze any breakdown on major cases like, say, Rittenhouse so the public can understand the implications of them? So I know I know there's some some legal channels that do things like that. Um, you guys probably talk about that at least behind the scenes, right? Yeah, we, you know, we do some of that. Um, you know, there are, I mean, frankly, there are lawyers out there who do it better than us. Um, you know, oh my gosh. And I, of course, I can't remember his name at this point. Rakaida? Rakaida. Rakaida being one of the best. I mean, Andrew Branca. Andrew Branca. I mean, we're not going to top those guys. It's very interesting, very instructive. We tend to, um, you know, hold those things, I guess, a little closer. I mean, we've had lots of private discussions now about the um, Kyle Carruth, Chad Reed no bill that just came down. That's a Texas case recently uh, from out in Lubbock. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, that is a, there are just lots of guys who have that down to an art. Yeah. Right. And I'd say, you know, they have, and it's just a different skill set because they're sitting there, they're watching every minute and they're, you know, making their breakdown as they go along. Unfortunately, our schedule does not allow us to do that. But what I think our strength is, you know, we have these incredible number of cases and we get to see, you know, all these trends that I don't think anybody else gets to see. So when we talk about these you know, principles of self-defense or principles of trial. And, you know, these, you know, we don't really point out the numbers, but it's based on the analysis of thousands of incidents that we've kind of had our hands on over the years. And so it's, it's a real practical, you know, application. And, you know, we try to, where we, where we see lessons learned or a good illustration of trial, we'll point those out. But those guys doing the, the minute by minute breakdown, I mean, we're not going to top those guys. They're just, they're rock stars. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the things where you kind of stay in your lane, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's one of the beautiful things about uh, not just YouTube, but but life in general is everybody has a lane. And if you network and if you know people, uh, that's what I told you guys in the in the private chat before we started live. Don't leave because I got something that I want to talk to you guys about <laughs> privately. But um, and it's all it's all going to be based on that, right? It's who you know. So if you're talking with somebody that is interested in that kind of stuff. You can, you can point them in the right direction wherever they need help or, or information. And that's, that's always a great thing. Um, we've got uh, some more questions out here. Let me pull up my star thing and look, but we said, uh, Oh, G webs has a, he's got a good one. He always poses these uh, interesting ones. He says, so you get a magic pen and eraser. So how do we get rid of the worst bad gun laws at a federal level? Uh, and is it even realistically possible? So is there a linchpin, I guess, is what he's saying, to um, anti-gun legislation? You know, gosh, and it started, of course, with the National Firearms Act. And really, I mean, it, it would take a time machine <laughs> instead of a magic eraser because what we've got is, you know, a law, a first of its kind law, you know, legislating this um, tax stamp requirement and registration requirement for certain scary weapons. Um, And then we've got Miller, and that's what we need the time machine for, is we need a time machine to go back, have that Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court ultimately said, yes, this is constitutional, you're allowed to do the Second Amendment. you know, quirk of the law, Miller was unrepresented by counsel at the Supreme Court level. 
Um, it was not um, guaranteed to him. He didn't pay his lawyer. His lawyer did not show up, argue, or file any briefs. Um, so that's what we need is to go back in time, get Miller a lawyer for the National Firearms Act case. Um, because ultimately, I mean, we could be living in a way different world, but for that one decision made upon the arguments of one set of lawyers. Yeah. And, and I think it also goes back to, you know, maybe we erase the word ATF. I don't know. That mm. might that might help a little bit because we see so much of burdensome right. gun control is coming from regulation and not. Yeah. And not yeah. not yeah. Congress. I mean, Congress does some wacky things, but the things that we see being imposed on the Second Amendment right now are not coming out of Congress. They're coming out of executive orders and they're coming out of you know, the code of federal regulation. And so, you know, how do we, if, if there's one word you could erase, I guess that would be it. And that would undo a lot of damage. I think that we have to our rights. Sure. And, you know, if I could go in, I could add something, it would be a moratorium on legislation for two years post national tragedy. Right. Um, yeah. Because that's how we get a lot of bad laws too, yep. including um, the gun control act of 1968 right. is that, and it's something the founding fathers were worried about. And yet, um, as a country, we tend to legislate um, in a knee-jerk response to national tragedy in a way that really harms us going forward. Yeah, the Sacramento shooting, they the response to that was, we need all of California's gun laws on the federal level. I don't see how that makes any sense whatsoever. Obviously, <laughs> right. it didn't stop the tragedy, right. but that's what they were asking for, which yes. makes no sense. Correct. And, and I see, I see two different things. First of all, when we talk about the NFA, I, I do think that's that that is a linchpin for sure. Um, but I don't know that in this day and age with social media, 24-7 news cycle, everything else, I don't know that the NFA happens, right? So yeah, yeah. I think it was an anomaly of the time as well. Yeah, I don't see any big firearm legislation on the federal level for how long in the future. I mean, I cannot imagine when we're going to see that again. Yeah, no. And, you know, and we, and we would hope that the Supreme Court, you know, they're supposed to be the kind of final arbiter of the law, right. you know, th the refusal to take up these issues. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. legitimate 2A issues that the court just declines to see every single year. And we have some pending cases and we have some things that we're looking forward to, you know, in June, you know, at the end of the term. Uh, but the refusal to look, review so many of these cases is just a, you know, they don't have the time and there's so many violations going on and this is what we're left with. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's go uh, jump back to the uh, questions over here. We've got um, cabbage out there, interesting enough. Now, you guys spoke to this earlier, uh, being lawyers in Texas. He said, can you guys be hired for another two, uh, for another state for a 2A case? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a procedural method. You know, we don't practice outside of the state of Texas. Gotcha. Um, they, ha they have this, you know, there is a mechanism called Pro Hoc Vice mm -hmm. where they'll let you sign on. You know, a, a judge can grant any attorney, you know, essentially, hey, you can practice in my court for this matter only. Um, you know, so there, there, you know, technically there's a, an avenue to it. We just, as a habit, we don't right. practice outside the state. Yeah, I don't know that we'd be that effective outside of Texas. No. You know, and that's, you know, first and foremost, we have to do what's right for the client. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, you know, I local mean, counsel is going to serve you so much better. You know, even just, I mean, there are times where we have to go out a little bit outside of our region here. <laughs> and I worry about that sometimes. Like, right. you know, there's no like really strong 2A attorney in Polk County. And yet, you know, it, 
local council is always, I mean, when you're when your mama, um, you know, goes to church with the judge, you're probably doing better than if you're an attorney from several counties or states away. And, and this happens, you know, we practice law primarily in Harris County and the surrounding counties. But when we're traveling outside of those areas where those big city Houston lawyers rolling in and, you know, right. and r- routinely get hometown. I mean, and that's just the way that the courts work. Um, you know, they want to see a familiar face. They want somebody they know and can trust um, who didn't show up in a car that had been washed in the past week. I mean, they, you know, that, that, I mean, that's a real thing. And so, you know, it may not be to your advantage. And at the end of the day, we're advocates. Our job is to do what's in the best interest of the client. And I tell clients that all the time, like, Hey, yes, I will take your money and I will do this, but it's not in your best interest. You want to hire someone local. And, you know, it doesn't mean that always, I mean, we, our law partner, um, Edwin had a case once out in this tiny town in Texas in which the guy was charged with basically just open carrying past a school who's open carrying a rifle. Um, and it was, which is totally lawful and legal. Um, and yet he was, you know, arrested, charged and, you know, Edwin's the, the big city Houston lawyer coming in and, and, you know, but yet, I mean, he was the guy who had been, he had handled several of these cases. I mean, really, I mean, it it was, you know, the decision was made. This is in the best interest of the client, but you know, every person who was a potential juror sitting there in the courtroom, they all knew the prosecutor, they all knew the judge. And then by the time Edwin asked the jury panel, um, did anyone here actually witness this incident? More than half of the panelists raised their hand. They'd all been there. The town was wow. so small. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, it's just, you know, there are times where, and of course he actually won that case. Um, so it, you know, did not work to the client's detriment to have him there. But, right. but, you know, there are times where, you know, if you're, you've got a, a little bit of an iffier case and you're the, you're the out of town or coming in with everybody else, you know, having known the prosecutor for four generations, you got problems. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it that goes back to the whole conversation of staying in your lane too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got uh, we've got IGO Gun out there. Uh, it's asking, do you have any thoughts uh, that you want to share on the uh, on the Chad Reed uh, case? You know, I I I will say I think an observation, you know, an observation about this case was mm-hmm. it was a media driven case and. Um, we saw this. Are with, most of them? <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's where people have to be really on guard. You know, you know, just like what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse, media-driven case. Right. Uh, Zimmerman, media-driven case, and what comes out in you know behind closed doors in a grand jury or what is presented to a jury. You know, what actually makes it? What what passes the test that a judge? You know, they're the gatekeeper. What does the gatekeeper actually? let in because it's you know legitimate and serves the purpose of the trial is very different media has no standards they go bananas mm-hmm. and so i think that was just what we noticed with this case you know there was a lot of you know media putting their yeah. thumbs on the scale and you know the defense counsel they kept things fairly quiet fairly close to the vest but you know i mean at, at the end of the day um there were lots of really bad facts about chad reed yeah. Right. That did not get picked up by the media because defense counsel essentially was like, we're not playing the media game on this one, um, which turned out, I think, to work pretty well. Ultimately, it didn't fuel the, fu- the media fire. No, but I uh, mean, the attorney general's office investigated They and the grand jury spent three, three days, days deliberating. You know, when I was a prosecutor indicting cases, I could indict a case in 20 seconds, you know, if I wanted to. And right. so when I see a grand jury deliberating for three days, they really must have considered 
a lot of evidence, a high volume of evidence, and really took their job very serious. So I'm, you know, that makes me confident that they reached the right conclusion. Oh yeah. With with the whole media game, right? No matter the case we're talking about, um, from a legal courtroom proceeding standpoint, I, anywhere from jury selection all the way all the way down. Um, what kind of a role does that constant 24-7 news cycle and that stuff being out there, what does it play for you guys, for a lawyer that's in that situation and you just see all of this information constantly on the television while the trial is going on? It's tough. Um, you know, your jurors are always going to go Google the things that they aren't supposed to. Right. Um, and, you know, and it puts, as defense attorneys, it puts us in really strange situations. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've had a, a murder that was covered extensively um, here in Houston. And, um, you know, the unfortunate part is that, um, you know, I mean, the choice we made was actually the same choice that the Carruth lawyers made, which was essentially no comment. You know, we look forward to seeing a self-defense claim play out in trial. Um, but you know, if you, you have to choose, am I going to engage in this battle because I know that my jurors are going to see it and then potentially fuel the fires and create right. more media coverage, or am I going to stay quiet? Then I mean, there's perhaps less coverage, but your potential jurors who are going to, they are going to look, you just can't, the judge is going to tell them not to, they do it anyway. Right. Um, are they going to get one side of the story? Um, Either way, it's damaging. I mean, there's yep. no two ways about it. It is damaging to the criminal defendant. Um, and, you know, different trial counsel has different um, perspective. But without, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on really sophisticated you know, media and PR teams, yeah. you're in a tough spot. Yeah. And, and that's what I would think. Uh, I think that's probably the right approach in the vast majority of cases. Kind of take a defensive position, not fuel the flames. Because otherwise, I mean, you will have to have a gigantic budget. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars right. to, to fight. Um, and most people just don't got that sitting around. Um, and so, you know, the, the cheaper alternative, which is most of the time the right alternative uh, to not fuel the flames. You know, that's those are kind of the two paths we see people go down. Um, you know, it's tough. It's a tough. And then especially I'm compounded by the fact that lawyers were bound by ethical rules not to, you know, sway a jury outside of the courtroom, mm -hmm. you know, so Emily was talking about those considerations of, hey, jurors are going to go look up this stuff. You know, if, if we say something that gets published or picked up by the news and, you know, if they find a juror read something that we said outside the court, you know, there's a chance that we get in trouble professionally. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to follow the rules and, and participate in the media circus. And so, you know, a lot of times avoiding it is the best option. Right. So we've got uh, Fiber Optic out here. He says, uh, do you guys believe that uh, SCOTUS will take up the California Magban case? What are y'all thinking on that? Mm, you know, I, we have a new Supreme Court. It's a new day, dawn of a new day for the Second <laughs> Amendment. Um, I mean, just given that they heard the New York State pistol and rifle um, twice, right? Two different New York State pistol and rifles, although they really kind of crapped out on the first one. Um, I still don't have the confidence. I don't think so. And I think particularly things like magazine bans, um, what they assault, call assault, assault yeah, weapons, yeah, what they bans, call assault weapons bans. They're um, not, they just, they don't like to touch them. No, no. Yeah. They, I mean, they want to leave it to the states to regulate, even though, you know, the constant, the second amendment, we don't have that, you know, we kind of have that application of the 14th amendment, but you know, these local restrictions, these state restrictions, you know, if a government can articulate something, you know, we don't have a standard and that's what we're hoping to get out of these cases in June is what standard should be applied to the second amendment. 
Because right now it's it's all over the place. Are we going to get you know text history and tradition? Are we going to get strict scrutiny and immediate scrutiny? What standard are we? What rules are we playing by? And until that's said, it's going to be very difficult to make predictions. So that two things. First of all, I want to knock out something real quick. When we were talking about the NFA, and you mentioned uh, the, the AWBs, and that was one of the things I was going to talk about. G. Webbs was talking about taking a pen and an eraser, right, to legislation. Do you guys agree with the idea that pretty much any piece of legislation that gets passed should have a sunset? That's a good question. I mean, it sure was smart in 94. Yeah, I mean, that was brilliant. Um, you know, anytime that you have the government, reg, you know, taking rights away from people. I mean, if if you're going to have if the rule is, hey, we're going to allow the government to violate people's rights, you know, then I think, yeah, putting a sunset or on if, it is, a, is great. You know? Or if A is supposed to equal B. Right. We're going to pass this. It's going to lower gun crime. We're going to pass this. It's going to improve the economy. Right. Anything that they are claiming it's going to have a causal effect should have a sunset, a period at which it's reviewed. And did it actually work? You know, we we do that in Texas all the time. You know, I mean, the DPS was a few days away from getting completely abolished, you know, back in 2015. Um, I mean, they, you know, so a sunset, I think, is a very healthy provision of government. It keeps um, us constantly evaluating our principles and whether something is designed or is it behaving the way that we want it to behave. Um, and the assault weapons ban, I mean, that was just completely brilliant. Yeah, it was. Uh, now we got Warsaw Patriot out there. Uh, he says, uh, got to ask, he said, uh, even though we live in the U.S., what are your thoughts on some of the things that has is going on up there in Canada as far as it's 2A? Do you guys follow the the Canadian fight for uh, – they don't have a 2A, so I'm not going to say 2A rights, but you get where I'm going with it. You know, I have you followed closely? I have not. I mean, the slow – I mean, the slow creep of getting rid of all – you know, virtually everything not designed for hunting, um, not having a right to self-defense or weapons for the purposes of self-defense. You know, in so much I've been following that because, you know, culturally we're so similar to, to Canada. And, you know, I don't want that sentiment bleeding, bleeding on down here. Um, but in that regard, I mean, it's just so tough. Uh, because, you know, we have the Second Amendment and there's just nothing analogous in British common law that would apply to Canada. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not as well informed on it as maybe I should be. But um, I don't <laughs> want that. I don't want that cultural bleed happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, as far as as far as current stuff on the radar, uh, I don't have any comments coming in right now. By the way, if you're out there live, the poll vote in that uh, before we get off uh, is having access to. Good two attorneys pivotal in our fight for the Second Amendment. Your options were, of course, and attorneys are the devil. So, vote in that. But, um, yeah, I want to I want to kind of let you guys kind of run things for a little bit and talk about some things you think are important right now in this day and age. It, and it may not even be in Texas, but where are some of the fights? Where are some of the legislation? Where are some of the let's say hot spots in two a that you think folks need to be paying attention to right now? Yeah, I mean, I think Richard and I are probably in, in perfect agreement here that the most important fight we can be having right now, and this is on a state-by-state -state basis, is strengthening self-defense laws, strengthening your individual right to get to protect yourself. And the way that we do that, the best mechanism to do that is to impose some sort of immunity type hearing, like we've got one in Florida, we've got one in Georgia. Um, but, you know, the problem that we see more, I mean, 
the problem gets worse every single day is that guns are political. The media is an absolute circus. And right. so when someone shoots someone in self-defense, it is prosecuted nine times out of 10. I mean, more than that, 99 times out of a hundred, right. they're going to be put through the ringer mm -hmm. and prosecutors. I mean, start, start first with individual police officers, mm -hmm. individual police officers, then prosecutors. They don't want to have a dismissal or a non-prosecution on their hands, particularly in these political environments. Right. They generally want to kick it to a jury. And once you go to a jury, I mean, sometimes even the best lawyer gets the wrong outcome. Yeah. And what I think is, you know, and, and this is going back to that sh sword and shield, you know, the sword of the Second Amendment and the shield of the Second Amendment. Again, we're focusing on the shield. That's kind of our big focus. But, you know, on the sword end of things, you see a three pronged attack on who can possess, what you can possess, where you can possess. Those are all important mm -hmm. legislative issues. But where the Second Amendment, where the rubber meets the road is when you have to use it in defense. I mean, that's that's really where the Second Amendment really comes into play. And I yeah, I think Emily correctly predicted the self self-defense protections nationwide are under attack. What we see happen to, you know, police officers two decades ago, a decade ago, those types of tactics, the second guessing of peace officers when they're, you know, forced to defend themselves against an attacker or shoot someone, um, the tactics that were being used against police are now bleeding over into the civilian world. Everything is getting second guessed. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, prosecutors are asking why Joe civilian didn't deescalate didn't start with less than lethal, you know, I mean, right. there are, I mean, things yeah. that police are trained on consistently and right. even sometimes can't do well because why, why didn't the civilian deploy a less than lethal? Right. I mean, it's it just those same standards are being imposed upon civilians and jurors don't know any better. Right. And so you want to be able to cut it off at the knees before you get to a jury. I mean, I know Richard and I are actually working on a draft of legislation right now for the state of Texas, um, hopefully to get this done in the 2023 session, because, I mean, we have, I mean, you know, the I told you we had a new murder case come in the door recently. I do not know why this guy was indicted. Well, I may know why he was indicted, but it has nothing to do with why he shot. Right. Um, and, but, and yet, no one in this county is going to dismiss it. He's going to have to go in front of a jury. It's going to take years. It's going to be, even if he wins, it's not a win because right. he's lost his job. He's lost, um, you know, he's still got to pay out money. He's still got to bond out of jail. I mean, there are just a million negative consequences to right. just get to a jury and hope that the jury is smart enough to get it or that they don't hate guns or that, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of considerations. You want to cut it off way before that. Yeah, and I'd say we've, you know, we have kind of our big board of, you know, if we had our way, what legislative priorities would we pass? And this is just in the state of Texas. And I want to say more than, you know, nine of 10 of them have to do with self-defense mm -hmm. right. um, because that's that's really where the fight is, especially, I mean, here in Texas, there are some states where, you know, those immunity hearings, that's our big goal for Texas. Yeah. And that's, I think, would be a good push nation nationwide. Have the state prove, you know, and there's a lot of different legal standards out there. But have the state disprove self-defense early on uh, before destroying someone's life. I think that's, you know, I think we are owed that um, by, you know, by virtue of having a right of self-preservation. And, you know, I, I, that's my goal. Right. Now, you know, when you talk about when you talk about Texas and, you know, the prosecution and you talk about law enforcement, you talk about them passing it off right to a jury. I think that's it's not just a state thing. It just it's not just Texas, but I mean, even within Texas, 
I think that's a county by county thing too. I'm in a very rural part of Texas. I know personally people that have defended themselves with a firearm and not spent a night in jail, not been deprived of their firearm for one second. They basically filled out some paperwork and went home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, do you see that dichotomy? Do you see it even that you talked about it earlier with the little podunk town case, but do you see that happening as well? And, and where does the focus need to be on with the legislation that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, we joke sometimes, and this is a joke, um, but we joke sometimes if you shoot someone in Harris County, you should drag the body into Montgomery County, which are the two two of the counties here in the Houston right. area. Don't do that. That's don't, really. do, don't do that. That really is a joke. Um, but yeah, that absolutely makes a huge difference. Yeah, we see the larger a city becomes, you know, they take discretion away from patrol officers. Mm-hmm. You know, they take discretion away from the DAs even. Um, and we see, hey, you know, nobody wants, you know, the way you get in trouble in the government is you make a tough decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. really what it comes down to, right. you know, in taking, you know, saying, hey, I'm not going to make this decision. I'm kicking the can. You know, they don't understand that can is somebody's life. Um, and and as a result, that can is getting kicked all the way to a jury. And, you know, I think the public as a whole, you know, there's there's no recourse against a jury. So, I mean, that's where the cans are getting kicked. But we see that in, in smaller counties where people have you know, a set of rules. They have a more, you know, an ethics code or a moral code. Um, They don't mind making those tough decisions because they know they're doing the right thing. Uh, But when you go to those big cities, it's a faceless bureaucratic system. Plus the bigger the county, the more likely it is you're going to have a a left-leaning DA. I mean, let's be honest about that. Yeah, that's part of it too. That's part of of that issue. Yeah, ultimately it ends up being a political game, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, So Warsaw Patriot out there, uh, talking about uh, constitutional carry here, it uh, says as far as uh, states that he's noticed, uh, constitutional carry states have influenced and have helped other states, even Democrat-run states. Uh, can you see, do you see that constitutional carry, the movement, uh, has been you know influenced and, and seems to be growing across the country? Do you, do you feel that way? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's on Wikipedia. There's an interactive map that shows the United States going from not being allowed to carry to being allowed to carry to issuing permits to, you know, constitutional carry. And it just shows the evolution. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we as the, the 2A community, we get discouraged so frequently, but holy cow, have we made incredible strides since the 90s. Right. I mean, things have, are really going well. And I think, oh, I had to explain to a baby lawyer in our office yesterday that you, um, you had <laughs> not to be trapped. Not a baby lawyer, but a, no, it was a an baby infant lawyer. with a license. Yeah. To practice <laughs> <laughs> one of our, one of our very young lawyers, I had to explain to him, he was like, what is this charge I see back in this person's criminal history? And I was like, oh, sweet pea. Um, before 2007, you couldn't possess a handgun in your vehicle in Texas unless right. you were traveling or met some right. other exception. So right. yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's that's the big rah-rah speech. And I think Texas helped a lot. I mean, Texas was the, I would say, the biggest state to pass, you know, constitutional carry. And, you know, when you see a Texas, like, you know, when you see a state like Texas putting itself out there, I think that provides cover for a lot of these other states. You know, if Texas can do it, right. what is holding us back? Yeah. Well, even Let's- though Texas should have never lost it in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Well, I think, you know, what we're seeing, too, with this trend is, you know, bigger, more populous states moving to constitutional carry. And that's going to be really, really helpful because when you're just looking at, 
you know, Vermont, Maine. Um, I mean, the best example of constitutional carry when this when constant, you know, HB 1927 was being argued in Texas. Mm -hmm. The best example that lawmakers could point to was Arizona and say, mm -hmm. look, Phoenix is a major right. population center and it's not the wild border West. state, border state. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so they that was but that was the best example they had. And that's kind of unrelatable to a lot of to a lot of places. Yeah. And so but you now, know. you know, I mean, Ohio, Texas, you know, uh, maybe Georgia coming right. up very shortly here. I mean, the more that larger states do it, the more people are going to say, whoa, there's not blood in the streets. Right. OK. Right. right. Well, and right. that was that was one of my favorite memes that I saw. It was, you know, someone saying, you know, hey, look, marijuana is legal in 18 states. That means it's socially acceptable. And, you know, the other person is saying constitutional carry is legal in 25 states. Well, yeah. I mean, I was ready for it. I had my pimp, I had my pimp hat and everything. Else oh, yeah. And I oh. passed it, and, and there wasn't blood in the streets. I didn't go out to you know and cause trouble yeah. in my pimp hat. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but you know, don't, you mentioned up. Uh, you mentioned don't go to wildwestpimpstyle.com. Oh, right, no, no kidding. <laughs> so you mentioned how you know things have changed here in Texas over time, and a lot of states do look at Texas, and I tell people that Texas has gotten a whole lot better. But you know, years ago they would go, "Oh, Texas is the wild west and two A friendly and all this," and I'm like, you know, for as much as people think that not necessarily so much right yeah. oh yeah we're one of the last to institute open carry right yeah. I mean, my yeah. goodness and now yeah. i mean it's it's florida you know everybody thinks florida is just wild is wild they don't have open carry yeah i right. mean they're they're right. even for long guns i mean they are really restrictive oh yeah. yeah and so they're behind the times yeah but that's a that's a sentiment that we get a lot of a lot of folks are really they're really passionate about it about liberty and freedom and restoring rights i totally get it um and they want things to happen yesterday and one of the beauty, the beautiful things about about being a Texan and being involved for several decades now and watching the the, the Second Amendment, uh, our Second Amendment rights being restored in that process and looking at it as a process, right? Not as here we've got a small win and thinking that is a, that's a complete victory. Two totally different things. But Texas did something really interesting because our the way I view it is on a federal level, our Second Amendment rights have been chipped away at over a century plus at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take that chipping back. And we've done that in Texas. We've chipped our way back to now we're standing at constitutional carries. There's tons of more work need to be done. Sure, there is. And what aggravates me, you talked about Ohio. I had got some good friends in Ohio. There was some talk when that was going on, and they didn't like some of the provisions, some of the language in the bill. And I had to I explained to them, I'm like, look, so if it's predominantly good, go with it. Get it through. Things can be tweaked and changed, just like Texas. We've tweaked from, uh, like you said, being able to, to have something in your vehicle. We, we've changed, okay, from concealed handgun license to the open carry license to carry that eventually progressed into what we've got now when we got back our constitutional carry. So there was that progression and you got always got to be looking at the long game. And I think all too often people get, and it's through passion. Uh, I don't fault them for it necessarily, but they're looking way too short game at stuff. And do you, do you think that that long game is the correct approach oh, on a federal yeah. level? A hundred percent. I know Richard and I can tell you from being at the Texas legislature in 2021, there is a, a gigantic nationwide lobbying group that shall not be named um, that takes that exact tactic that, you know, essentially says our way or the highway instead of 
any expansion of Second Amendment rights is a good thing. It's a good step. And that's absolutely what needs to happen on the national level as well. Um, you know, it is... Um, I don't have as much money as this lobbying group, though. So it's, I don't know how we fix the problem. <laughs> right. well, the the right. fixing the problem is donate to GOA. Yeah. That's how you well, fix that that's problem. That's what I was fixing to say. <laughs> fixing the problem is uh, like Rachel. I mean, get, yes. get her in on it. And it'll Rachel happen. is the antithesis of the problem we're talking about. Rachel yeah. is. Right. Every step forward right. is great. We get it done. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the yeah. theme of 2021. Don't sacrifice the you know, the good for the perfect, you mm -hmm. know, because you're never going to win that battle. And, you know, GOA, GOA had a, did a tremendous job in Texas in 2021. Well, and the, and the big boys is, you know, the thing about it is I, I still feel there's a place for them in a way. Um, it's aggravating. It aggravated me in 21 to no extent that Mr. Expensive Suits and Shoes was up front and center and like Rachel was nowhere to be found. And I even asked Rachel, I'm like, I had her on the podcast. I'm like, why? And she's like, well, I didn't necessarily want to be in that. You know? And it's like, that's a good thing in a way because that's the big bullseye, the big target, the punching bag, right? They've been around forever. They've got the name recognition. Um, they've got all the controversy. They got all of these reasons for people to look at them. And while people are looking at them, some of these other smaller organizations maybe can actually get things done, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard that from a lawyer this week, you know, there's, he was talking, going back to our media battle discussion. He said, you know, there's two battles. There's the battle in the media and there's the battle in the courtroom and they can win all the battles they want in the media. I'm going to win the one that matters. And that's, you know, being effective is, you know, they, they can take all the attention they want, but if, if people behind the scenes are being effective and getting good policy passed, that's what matters. Yeah. So we got uh, another one out here from the gun snob. Let me go find it. And he says, uh, uh, how have cameras being everywhere? We talked about the media earlier. We didn't talk about social media. That everybody has a 4K camera in their pocket. He says, how have cameras being everywhere changed? How cases are treated? Does it make it better or worse for the defendant? Uh, he said you spoke on that earlier from the media. But as far as cell phone cams or body cams and those sorts of things, good, bad, indifferent? You know, and Richard and I might disagree on this a little bit. I, my view is there's more bad than good that comes from it. And a couple reasons. Um, one is, I mean, we've had several clients who have essentially tattled on themselves unknowingly because the brain is not a camera. Um, right. And so they have fight or flight reactions. They are 100% certain they did exactly the right thing. And then they yep. say, hey, I've got a dash cam that backs me up or I've got a ring doorbell cam that backs me up and they disclose that to the police right away and it doesn't show what they think it shows. And of course, uh, they don't think they're lying because they, no. they want the police to see it. But then the police, I mean, even, I mean, sometimes it's a total miscalculation. Like I had a guy once, he, I mean, he honestly believed he was shooting at someone running towards him. Mm -hmm. But he had, he was just so jacked up on adrenaline the guy actually veered off and started running away when he produced the handgun. So he uh, shot at his back as he was running away. Uh, um, and he really believed he was shooting at a guy running towards him. That's what his brain told him. Yeah. Um, right. And but for that camera footage, that would have been the only story out there. Um, not only that, but we've got issues. I mean, we were lucky enough to get to do some trainings with the Force Science Center, which is um, probably the preeminent um, forensic group when it comes to experts in self-defense shootings. Yep. Um, do you want to tackle that a little bit? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would, I agree with Emily completely on this. I mean, 
apart from, and I, I use this kind of phrase kind of loosely, but videos lie, you know, because mm -hmm. angles and, you know, perception of time and going to Emily's point, you know, something that happens frequently in these cases is tachypsychia, the perception of time, things speeding up, slowing down, distances, how people interpret, a, you know, the scene um, and then it gets compared to a video and it just blows it apart. And they're not trying to be deceptive. They're not trying to lie to the police. It's just how our brains work. Um, a, a perfect illustration of this is action reaction. You know, when your brain makes a decision to act, you know, it takes about a second to a second and a half to act. So I decide I'm going to shoot. You know, you have your gun extended, you pull, start pulling the trigger. Well, if something changes, the person turns around or they, you know, put their hands down or, you know, your brain takes about two seconds to three seconds to take in that information, change course of action. So the only way that you could not execute, you know, whatever action you'd already decided to take was to have a time machine because it would take more time for you to go back and make a different decision. And so, you know, I think it's, it takes a lot of, um, skill to explain that type of stuff to a jury. I mean, we are not machines. We, you know, we have limitations and, but they right. see camera, footage. but then they see camera footage and they think, Oh, well, this is, I know exactly how it was when right. really, you know, there's a lot of brain science behind it. And then there's also Richard mentioned earlier, cameras lie. And I know yeah. that seems counterintuitive to what people think, uh -huh. but you know, a lot of times we look at police body camera footage and we think, well, it, that guy obviously wasn't a danger. And you don't realize that the, you know, officer eye line is somewhere else looking at right. the actual danger while the right. camera isn't capturing that part. Yeah. It, it also objects also seem closer than they are maybe closer than they appear. Too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it literally is that way depending oh, yeah. on the lens of the camera. Um, that's something that interesting that we mentioned that that's something Calaveras brought up out there. He says video lies. He said like zooming into four pixels and uh, focusing on three frames at a quarter of a mile away and yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. I remember, oh goodness, watching the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial and the poor judge up there. Uh, he was so entertaining in that, but they were trying to explain pixels and he kept calling them pickles. Um, and it was, it was hilarious. It's like, this is kind of the judge you want if you're trying to, you know, get tech, you know, tech stuff kicked out, you know, because he doesn't, he can't distinguish a pixel from a pickle, but yeah, um, that's fair. It was, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, our general, just people looking for practical advice on cameras, our general advice is, um, you know, if they, if you want to have them for all sorts of reasons, have them um you know the police need subpoenas or warrants to to get them so have an um, attorney review it before have an attorney review it before right. um our line that works a lot of times is you know if an officer actually sees the dash cam is like oh hey do you think that recorded oh man it might have um i don't really know how to get it off there right now but let me look into it and i'll give you a call as soon as i do and then <laughs> right. get it to the attorneys and then if we don't want to disclose it then we don't disclose it right yeah absent subpoena or warrant which of course we have to obey right Right. And, and, and that's true. I mean, I've, I spent, um, I've spent a couple of days in, in a couple of decades rather in new shooting sports and talking about the uh, camera and the footage thing. Um, you get instance, I talked about this with the, with the whole Alec Baldwin thing, uh, that happened and people said, well, maybe there was footage there and we could see. And I'm like, yeah, but just because we can see what happened doesn't mean that he doesn't believe what he's saying right that his finger wasn't on a trigger because i've seen it multiple times setting up cameras and, and filming kids to help them with form and everything else through competition and it's like oh you flinched and they're like i didn't flinch and you're like yeah see you you, you flinched you know yeah um and in your mind it's totally different a lot of times than what's on that camera so yeah it can be dangerous um the gun snob out there he says at what point 
when so many states have constitutional carry, does it start changing the perception of guns uh, in more anti-gun states? Um, have you seen any kind of a trend one way or another, do you think, as more states have come on board with constitutional carry? You know, I mean, these are loose statistics that I've just been presented with. I mean, the sentiment for gun control is at an all-time low right now. So, I mean, the 2A community is doing something right. The The appetite to confiscate guns, to impose red flags, impose additional red, you know, regulations is at an all-time low. And so we're doing something right. And I guess the critical number, you know, when we got two-thirds of states with constitutional carry, you know, maybe, you know, I think that's kind of a, a huge tipping point. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there is there's a critical number for everyone. Right. I mean, there are some states that weren't going to go to constitutional carry until they saw 10 states have done it. And then they OK, well, that's enough for them. I mean, we're at 25 now. Yeah. Um, I do think we're going to see as many as two thirds of the states at some point in the next decade with constitutional carry. Um, and then you hope that that will influence some of the crazies to be like, I mean, at some point, their voters have got to say, look, Everyone around me gets to protect themselves. Why not me? Right. Perfect. We've got uh, Washington Patriot out there. I don't know how much you guys know about uh, about Illinois and and specifically Chicago, which is the the, the problem there. I think more than anything. But uh, he's saying, what do you think? Where do you think the fight is for folks in uh, in Illinois and uh, specifically Chicago? You know, I, I I it's a tough place to be because you know they. They don't issue permits. I mean, they're, they're terrible. Uh, you know, the state of Illinois, I think it's worth having the fight. You know, I went to the uh, the Second Amendment Foundation, had their conference there, I want to say three years ago. You can't be afraid to, to express your beliefs. And I think by taking that conference to that location, they did a really important thing, right. you know, so much so that they put up warning signs in the hotel we were <laughs> oh, at. Yeah. They said, hey, look out, there's crazy gun people here. It's, ah. like, we're not, we're, it's like, we're not the problem. That's all. Um, you know, eh, it's just going to take time. I, hopefully we see this may issue, shall issue, issue resolved. Um, more permits are issued. We see the changes with constitutional carry. And I think it, it just becomes inevitable. Um, you know, something Emily and I were talking about today was, you know, we see these shootings, you know, and, and how many people are becoming casualties of shootings with the relative number of events. And we see something in Texas, you know, we're a big state, there are shootings here. I mean, that's no surprise, but right. the number of people who die or there there's fatal fatalities involved um, is a lot lower than we see in these big states where there's an equal number of shootings and there's, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, it kind of begs the question, you know, are they running into, you know, armed resistance? And so hopefully, yeah. you know, we see an appetite for that. Right. Uh, are shooting instances in Texas less fatal right. because of the presence of other weapons, because of armed resistance. And that's yeah. our theory. Now, the problem with Chicago is, though, we have so many years of bad gun laws in Chicago right. and high crime in Chicago. And we just have consistent politicians who will not let two and two make four. And in a situation like that, honestly, I don't know. Like if I were looking at people in Chicago right now, you know, I hate to be fatalistic, but I think I might say um, there are lovely places um, north of you in mm -hmm. Illinois that are very gun friendly. Um, the Illinois State Rifle Association does great things up there. Yeah. Um, but what do you do? And I don't have an answer. What do you do when all of your statistics are there to say this approach sucks and right. yet no one will do anything about it? Yeah, and I like the idea of uh, 
you know, like I said, the baby step method. And, and I think shall issue, if they can manage to get shall issue, it, it could start turning the tide. Come just on June. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So uh, our poll out there, thanks to everybody that joined us live. If you're in replay, remember that if you're live, you can participate with all the questions and comments that everybody has done so far. And also a poll when we throw one up. And the poll uh, question was, is having access to good 2A attorneys pivotal in our fight for the Second Amendment? 91% says yes. 8% says attorneys are the devil. So um, that, <laughs> no, they're, that, not, and, they're not wrong. And everyone's right. Yeah, everyone's yeah. right. <laughs> that, uh, that tracks. We'll just say that that tracks. Uh, before we get out of here, we are we are well past our hour. I want to give uh, both of you, Richard and Emily, a second. Is there anything we overlooked uh, and then also uh, plug your channel and any other projects that you've got going. No, I, I think we had a great discussion. Very grateful that we got to spend some time with you talking. You know, we are on the Armed Attorneys, youtube.com slash armed attorneys. We talk gun loss, simplified self-defense, uh, Second Amendment issues. It's a little bit different. It's it's very practical. I think people, will, if they check it out, it'll be very cool. Uh, but, you know, we're there a couple of times a week having great discussions. Yeah. And um, on the state level, if you live in the state of Texas, start watching. Um, I know it seems like a long way away this legislative session. I mean, bills will begin to be pre-filed in November, October. Yeah, November. Right. Um, November. Start watching. Start communicating with your lawmaker. It does make a difference. That's Texans, Houstonians. You can find us at WalkerTaylorLaw.com. We're here in the Houston area. Yep. Very awesome. Uh, thank you both for for jumping in and join us uh, for those out there in replay. This one an iron 10 minutes or so in replay your troopers. Love you for those that have stuck around this whole time live. We love you guys too. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I don't think there is. So uh, we're going to get out of here and remember until next time to uh, chain fire freedom. Bye.